0: Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. Today our topic is the healing power of music. My guest is Kate Beaver. Kate is a board-certified music therapist here in Maine. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. First of all, what does it mean that you are a board-certified music therapist?
1: Um, So that's our national certification. So when you become a music therapist, you go to a a school for it. Um, Right now you can do an undergrad program. I did my master's program in New York. And then you have to take the board certification exam, which covers everything from music theory and music history to learning about different kinds of um, syndromes or diseases that people might have and how to – assess them for the appropriateness of music therapy and then create goals and objectives. So it's a pretty hefty exam and you have to take that every five years or do continuing education to remain certified.
0: And is that something that a person should ask about if they're contemplating working with a music therapist? Definitely. I think that's one of the things I've tried to include in some of my
1: advocacy in the state of Maine is that when someone's looking for music therapy, Um, really figuring out what they're looking for because sometimes especially for senior center um, or sometimes children's programs they might actually just want a music educator or a music performer to come in Um, and so really talking to people and figuring out if they're looking for music therapy Um, and if they are then they should definitely find somebody who has the proper training Um, because there's not only issues of you know the uh, appropriateness of of doing the therapy itself but there's also ethical implications and i um, just making sure somebody has supervision and training to be able to deal with some more sensitive topics.
0: So if you're providing therapy, then you are actually looking for some kind of an outcome. You have a goal? Yep, it's a
1: goal-oriented therapy. So um, our goals for clients are non-musical ones. So we might be working on regaining speech after a brain injury or expressing emotions um, with teenagers, for example, Um, Or memory recall with seniors and then the objectives that come after the goals are musical ones So we might say, you know reaches out for the drum three times out of five times Crossing midline with their left arm things like that.
0: So you have a wonderful Video on your website and oh yes, yeah, we'll tell people how to get to your website, but uh, Jennifer Rooks um, Interviewed you for Mm main calling I think and they did a video Can you tell us a little bit about the gentleman that you worked with who's in that video?
1: Oh, sure. So he has a brain injury, um, which he's had since childhood, actually. And we were working together. I was referred to him um, just because they thought that he responded well to music and he was nonverbal. So I've been with him for about three years now. And after six months of music therapy sessions, he was able to start um, communicating with words to his staff members and asking for things. um, Whereas before he was you know, sort of just making sounds and trying to gesture when he needed something. So um, because he was so motivated by music, we were able to use some neurologic music therapy techniques and help him with speech. So you can actually retrain the brain to speak through singing. So um, putting a melody to music and then the emotional quality of musical chords played on a guitar or piano kind of add to that motivation so your brain... um, and trains to what to the music and then just helps you get the words out and uh, sort of more of a flow.
0: That seems miraculous to me. It does. A lot, a lot of things that we do in music therapy
1: um, are just really surprising and, and really do feel um, I don't know sort of like a magic but it's it's just brain science working. Um, to help people change things. So we did that the program was great and we were on main calling actually um, right after that video, we did a main calling episode with myself and a dance therapist and an art therapist. So just talking about the different modalities of creative arts therapies and how those can help different populations.
0: And I watched you a couple of years ago. you were doing something with a group of adults they were in a community <laughs> program. Oh yes, and you were playing blues music, you were all Mm -hmm. listening to it, and then you were also playing it. You had your guitar, you did some singing,
1: Mm -hmm. um,
0: but then you had them compose a song.
1: Yeah, yeah. I use a lot of songwriting, actually, with especially that population. That was a group of adults with developmental disabilities, um, sort of ranging in ability levels. Some of them are even nonverbal, but you can do um, songwriting activities. So we went over the blues form, which is a a very... um, it's inherent I guess in a lot of western music this this idea of the one the four and the five and so you can use that to your advantage because most people in this country especially will fill in that blues form so if you play through the form and then you leave off the last couple chords people are able to find that note automatically even if they're not musicians Um, so what I'll do a lot of times is play a form like that and then if I'm helping somebody work on a certain phrase or something I'll leave off the last note and have them fill in the word and it it works like a charm, um, but in that situation we actually had them write out their own lyrics. So as a group they came up with the entire form of lyrics instead of just the last word. And um, I, think, I think that was the friendship song, so they had sort of chosen a theme that they wanted to talk about. Um, and because in that population we're working on social skills a lot, we were talking about how to be a good friend and how to find a good friend and, you know, build trust with people. So um, we worked on some lyrics about friendship. And then if you have someone in the group who isn't verbal, you can also have them play an instrument during it or just make sure everybody's participating somehow.
0: I remember one of the lines was about love. Love is love is true, I think. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. Love is True, pure, and kind, I yes. think they had come up
0: with. That's, that's what it was. And it was so yeah. wonderful to see people be as engaged as they were.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, and I'm actually still working with that group, though. the um, It's at a day day facility, day program, so the membership kind of comes and goes. So we have different people, but there's a few people who were are still in that group, and they, they still remember that song. It really sticks in your head. So Um,
0: you work with a wide variety of people, and you work with individuals, but you also mm -hmm. work in these group settings. Yes. Um, I was looking at the list. People of all ages with Mm -hmm. cancer, autism, cerebral palsy, brain injury, (laughs) depression, developmental disabilities, dementia, and respiratory diseases, and I'm sure there are more. Yeah. So you're not just sitting there playing or singing for them. As we said, you always have a purpose or a goal in mind. How do you figure out what that's going to be? Um, that's
1: through an assessment so and it's kind of funny you mentioned like what's on the website because um, some people have this thought that you should get to specialize in one one sort of population and stick to it. And um, that's kind of the way the field is going because there's now a lot of extra trainings you can do. Um, I've done the neurologic music therapy training. Um, I've done some improvisational training and some guided imagery training. But the truth is with music therapy, our, our training is is exactly that, it's music and therapy so um, it's not a replacement for any other therapy it's a it's an integrative medicine so you really can work with a lot of different populations Um, and my background is in psychotherapy and then the neurologic training so i I've sort of you know my my grad program I was focused in hospital work but that that covered a lot of different kinds of people because lots of people go to the hospital So it is a big range. And what we do is we'll do an assessment and get to know the client and the client's family and then the other staff members that are working with them. So um, I'll talk to their physical therapist or their speech therapist or their other counselor and kind of get an idea of what goals they might be working on. Um, And then I do a musical assessment where I go in and with those goals in mind, I try different things. So I'll, you know, try some movement with them, try some singing, try some toning, try different instruments and kind of see where their interests and abilities are. And then I write up sort of a treatment plan. Um, And that takes into account if they're working on um, fine motor skills or gross motor skills or expression um, or turn taking and make sure that we're trying all those things through music.
0: So my mother lived for a couple of years in a memory care facility, mm-hmm. and one of the things that she and everybody else seemed to enjoy was when people would come to play for them.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Um, they would get up and dance mm-hmm. and um, sing along, but talk to me a little bit about the therapeutic approach to working with somebody with some form of dementia.
1: Yeah. Um and that's a tough population. It's growing so much in Maine. And so they're, they've they been trying a lot of different things in these memory care facilities. Um, the way that music therapists prefer to work in memory care facilities is to be there frequently and get to know the clients and their families. Um, so it's great. And I always recommend if someone is sending a family member to a facility like that, whether it's for the day or um, to stay, they should include in the sort of the form they fill out some of their favorite music or preferred music, even if it's just styles, you know, like this person likes big band music, or this person likes Elvis or whatever it is, Um, because it's a a huge connector to memory. So music therapists, you know, I like to work one on one with clients in memory care facilities um, on reality orientation. So I do a lot of improvisatory singing about Uh, what day it is, what their name is, what their family members are. And that's a good way to get people started during the day um, because similar to working with people who are nonverbal, you know, if they have autism, you can sort of share information through singing and it'll stick faster than if you're just saying information. So working with somebody with memory care, if you sing the date, they'll remember it throughout the day better than if you just wake them up and say, it's Tuesday, time to go.
0: That, that That's kind of brilliant. I know there are, I think it's, uh, Howard Gardner is the man's name, that we, mm-hmm. there are many ways that we, as a population, learn mm-hmm. things. So there are many ways that we learn things, and some people can learn by rote, some people need to have uh, visuals, and some people need to have sound, so that's what you're talking about.
1: Absolutely, and a lot of people, I mean, musical memory is so ingrained because when you're engaging in music, you're using more parts of your brain than if you're just speaking or walking, so almost everybody has some connection to it, and then there's the obvious, uh, memory connection to music where people have their wedding song or they have this, the lullabies that their mother sang saying to them or things like that that really stick in your in your deep memory so the other thing that's great in memory care facilities is um bringing up some of those and you can have these really special moments especially if the family's there where you know I've been playing in a group and uh, I had handed somebody a you know they had drumsticks they had one drumstick and a drum in their hand and the guy had been silent for a couple weeks of music and suddenly he reached over and grabbed someone else's drumstick so he had two and then he started this sort of marching beat on his drum and I said oh wow that sounds like a military beat were you in the service and he said oh yeah and all of a sudden he remembered the years that he was in the army and some of his friends names that he had worked with and um, just had this really special moment of kind of finding his identity again and being able to share it with the group. So things like that are really special. Um, and a lot of music therapists, you know, are nervous about the, uh, the iPod programs that senior care facilities are using. But I actually think in some settings it's great to have recorded music that sounds, you know, if somebody really liked uh, the Andrews sisters, for instance, it's hard to recreate that you know, just as like a guy going into a center and singing. So for them to hear it, it might really bring back those memories even more quickly. Um, But I do think there's something to be said for for live music and for the social aspect of making music in a group,
0: you know, without headphones on, things like that. And you do a lot of that. Do you just bring your guitar or do you have other instruments that you... Um,
1: No, and it's funny, actually, because my main instruments growing up were percussion and piano. So guitar is sort of my last thing, but it's definitely the most portable. So I bring guitar and then I bring a lot of percussion instruments um, because they're so accessible for people to play, you know, especially if they've never played an instrument. But every once in a while I'll find somebody who would play recorder or harmonica. There's a guy in one of the senior facilities that plays, brings his own harmonica and plays along to the blues and um, so it kind of depends what people need and what I'm going for. Um, when I'm in the hospital, if I go into like the ICU, for instance, I wouldn't bring drums, but I'd bring a guitar or maybe a Native American flute or something and um, play really calming music. Um, we have some tools like the ocean drum that aren't um, musical, necessarily, but they sound like you know going to the beach, so you can close
0: your eyes and pretend you're not in the hospital, things like that. You have a drumming workshop, I guess it is, coming up maybe in February? Oh, yeah, um, I do, at the Cancer Community Center. Yes, so I'm, yes. I'm going to sign up. I, <laughs> oh, great. Yes, I do work with them. I do some blog mm-hmm. posts about some of the things that they're going to be offering. Awesome. And uh, yours caught my eye in an instant. So, so we would be sitting there, and you're going to teach us how to play the drums. So I actually got a a full set of um, Health Rhythms drums,
1: which are this company, Remo, they make percussion instruments, and these are um, really good sounding, but they're washable and they're very portable. So it's great for use in hospital settings where you don't want to be, you know, spreading germs through an animal skin drum. Um, And that stemmed out of us trying, we did a four-week session. I think it was this last fall at the Cancer Community Center where we tried a bunch of different musical interventions to kind of see what people liked the best. So they did um, guided imagery and meditation to music, and they did drawing to music, they did some singing and songwriting, and then they did drumming. And people seemed to really like the drumming. Um, so we're going to stick with that and do a full workshop of drumming. So it'll be um, learning the basics of drums, but certainly not trying to perfect it. You know, we're not trying to have anybody do a performance at the end, um, but just getting some of the health benefits of, dr- of group drumming, um, being able to express oneself and try different, um, different sort of tempos and rhythms on the drums and see what feels good. And then there, there's also sort of a meditative aspect to group drumming. Um, and some of the research for drumming with cancer patients is incredible. Um, they actually found that group drumming, I think it was once a week for eight weeks, um, increased the number of natural killer cells, so the cells in your body that fight cancer. And that's just again, it sounds kind of
0: magical, but it's just, drumming is actually physically healthy for you. Well, I have a friend who's going through chemo right mm-hmm. now, and I'm going to try my darndest to drag her along. Because oh, great. <laughs> I think it would be really good for her. Yeah. yeah. So music has always been a part of your life,
1: then. It has, definitely. It's a huge part of our family, um, and so I just kind of grew up with playing music, um, and I got really into performing, and I still play in some bands, but my... Honestly, my favorite thing about music is the community aspect and just being able to sit in someone's living room and, and share a sing-along or or kind of pick up an instrument and just noodle on it. And I wish our, I think our society has gotten kind of far from that where we now have this very us-versus-them mentality about you know professional musicians and no one else is playing. So kind of my life goal is to just see everybody engaging in music a little bit more. Um, we're actually doing a big... Um, at the end of January at Grace, at the restaurant Grace, we're partnering with them to do a, a very big um, sing-along activity where all of the communities invited to come in and sing. We're choosing some songs about peace just to try to build um, a good sense of that through music.
0: What a wonderful place to do that, too. Yeah, it's a beautiful space. For those of you who don't know, Grace was once a church and is now a restaurant yeah. in Portland, Maine. Um at some point, well, I know you started with the piano, right? And then mm-hmm. you moved to percussion. And yes. I have a feeling you could play just about any instrument. Not necessarily. <laughs>
1: um, I don't seem to have the lung capacity for trombone or trumpet or tuba, um, but I have tried. But no, I uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom was a classical pianist and piano teacher. So I had always played at her house growing up and took some lessons. Um, And then I started playing drum set in junior high with, like, a a kid's rock band, basically, and really loved that. Um, And then the natural combination of those two things led me to classical percussion, so timpani, marimba, vibraphone. Um, And then I got really into jazz music, so jazz vibes, and then a lot of, like, funk and soul and Motown-type stuff. And now I play keys in a rock band, too. And you sing. And I sing. So I, I finally started... Um, putting out some of my own music and singing and recording and and kind of playing with some new things. So,
0: and so we can buy your CDs. You can. <laughs> I usually just give them away at this point. <laughs> but yes. What What's the name of your band?
1: Um, the the group that I put out an album of my music was Beaver McCain. It was a great duo um, with this really talented guitarist named John McCain. Um, and then I've played on some of Zach Jones albums. Um, He does kind of 60s style rock and now I play in Jeff Beam's band. Um, And that's uh, 60s style rock too, I guess. A little bit of everything. Where do you find the time to do all this? Um, I'm pretty busy. (laughs) And it's it's a delicate balance because my music therapy business is a daytime thing and then playing music is always at night. So I've definitely found that you know, I can't do everything anymore, so I've been a little bit choosier about what I get involved in.
0: It's been an interesting balance to do. So I know that when you were in high school,
1: mm-hmm.
0: one of your teachers, your English teacher, made you do this paper called, oh, yes. my daughter had to do it too, called the I Search paper.
1: Yes, Ms. Go- Davis.
0: Yes, I'm going to say her name. I ran into her recently, Jean Davis. She's okay. retired now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it was that paper that led you to music therapy, I think it was it absolutely was that paper is great
1: it's I didn't have any other experience like that um, in school having to write a paper where you also interviewed people so it was a really collaborative project um, and i I think my topic back then actually was teaching music to children who are blind and deaf and so through that I started um, finding people to interview about that topic and I and a couple of them mentioned you know there's this Field called music therapy that you might be interested in, and I had never heard of it. Um, so I ended up buying a book from Berkeley and learning more about the field, and and just realizing, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. So it was a pretty easy way to find the career. And um, I sometimes I'm honestly jealous of people that didn't know what they wanted to do because I just I've been on this path since I was a kid, so it's kind of interesting being stuck with it in a way. But it's your life, and I think it feeds, yeah. feeds your soul. It really does. I can't imagine doing anything else, um, although I have a lot of other interests. It's just, this is um, definitely encompasses all of my interests into one, I think.
0: Well, you're also young yet. and True. <laughs> you never know. That's right. <laughs> now, when you graduated from NYU, you could have stayed in New York, and, and I imagine there was a lot more support there than there was and a lot of my professors
1: and supervisors were suggesting that that would be a better choice to stay and get a job there and and work in the, some of the hospital settings in New York um, but I knew that I eventually wanted to come back to Maine and something was just sort of pulling me saying don't waste any more time um, and I loved I love New York City and it was amazing living there and a great work experience but I've obviously stayed in touch with those people and still talk to them and go to conferences. And I'm still engaged with them. Um, but I really wanted to move home. And so it was kind of a risk. And when I moved back, I, I actually worked at a law firm full time when I first moved back and I worked at LL Bean for a little while, um, just to make ends meet. And then I finally took the leap after probably nine or 10 months of doing music therapy on weekends and on lunch breaks and stuff. Um, and so it's it's really worked out well, because since I've been here, which it's been about six years, um, the number of music therapists just in this area has doubled, and people are really responsive now. You know, I don't get the question as often, what is music therapy? People seem to already know about it. Um, and I've worked with the State House a lot, trying to um, advocate for music therapy and make sure people know,
0: you know, what what it is and why it's different from performance and things like that, so... I was going to ask you what some of your biggest challenges were, but I think you've answered that, just uh, helping people to understand what it is that you do.
1: Definitely. Um, And then there's always challenges in each population, you know, um, hospitals in Maine are um, slightly stuck in their ways. And so the advocacy piece, you know, people at the hospital, some of the staff and the doctors and nurses know about music therapy and really like it, but the administrative part, trying to you know, get it as an integrative um, field. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know acupuncturists have that problem and plenty of other people. So it's kind of an ongoing fight for just um, more of a person-based healthcare system, I think. So, yeah.
0: For the last couple of years, you've also put on some conferences Mm -hmm. that are for music, art, and movement therapists. Yeah. And um, what is your goal with... Those is it to do what you've just been telling us about? Definitely, it's um, educating both the public
1: and and uh, other healthcare professionals about integrative medicine that isn't just that isn't you know physical medicine. So art, dance, and music therapy, and we had a psychodrama um, teacher there one year. So we've done that three years, and it's uh, it's grown a lot, and it's kind of changed in a couple ways, but it's still. It's been really powerful to bring people together, and they, um, they learn about some of the research behind arts therapies, but then they also get to try some of the um, interventions that we use with our clients, and that way they can both bring those back to try some of them in their own work, and they also know that these are professionals that they can refer clients to. When's your next one? I haven't started planning it yet but I think um, the first two years we did it in May and then this past year we did it in October and I think we're going to stick with that so it should be October 2017 and um, I'm hoping to use USM again. We did it in USM Lewiston this year and we had a great turnout um, I think because we've been doing it in Portland and so there's a lot of people up that way
0: that hadn't heard of it yet. Uh, We haven't said the name of your business yet I don't think. Oh, It's uh, Maine Music and Health. And we can find it at mainmusicandhealth.com? Definitely. Okay. C- Kate, do you think that we all have music inside of us? I do. Um, I run into a lot of people who are
1: apprehensive about trying to sing or trying to play music. And I never push people to because there's plenty of things we can do that don't involve someone singing in front of a group. Um, but the, there's actually... There's a statistic somewhere where I think it's less than 5% of the population is actually tone deaf, so I always argue with people like, no, I know you can sing. So yeah, I think everyone has music and everyone has some connection to music, even if they don't consider themselves you know, a a talented musician, so.
0: And you just have the the technique to be able to draw it out of people, even if they don't realize it. That's pretty much what our training is, so it usually works. (laughs) That's nice. Is there anything else that I didn't think to ask you that you'd like people to know about? I don't think so. I think it's just good for people to really think about um, other ways of of
1: accessing either their emotions that they might not have thought about or if they're having trouble with a physical goal like really thinking about creative ways to reach that goal um, and you know always reach out and ask questions if you're interested in music therapy I, I'm not great at email but I'm
0: I'm always catching up on it and writing back to people <laughs> well thank you so much I, I appreciate it and uh, thank I, you next time we'll have to do it in a setting where we can have you play Oh, yeah. And that sing great. at the same time. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll figure that out. <laughs> I've been talking to Kate Beaver. She is a music therapist at Maine Music and Health. You can learn more about Kate and her work at mainemusicandhealth.com. I'm Diane Atwood, and you've been listening to the Catching Health Podcast. If you have any suggestions about today's conversation or suggestions for future topics, send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Catching Health, and Catching Health is also on Facebook. For more health reporting that makes a difference, make sure to visit CatchingHealth.com.